I've known Max Quintavalli for roughly 10 years. We met in Malibu while I was working at James Purse. He's originally from Florence, Italy, and in 2012, he started Italy to the Max, his Italy-specific travel agency catering to high-net-worth individuals. We talk about what it's actually like as a foreigner moving to the United States and what it's like dealing with immigration while trying to start a business. The importance of personal connections and networking runs throughout this episode and how those two things ended up granting him his American dream. He's a man of many interests, and at six foot four, fitness is sure one of them. We discuss everything from what makes a good knife to how he fell in love with Ralph Lauren's double RL denim. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard Age Podcast. Max, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. Tell me a little bit about where you come from, where oh, you grew up. Okay. <laughs> so let's start from the beginning. I am Italian and uh, I was born in Florence, which pretty much everybody knows that's in Italy. Actually, to be more precise, it's in the state of Tuscany. We are pretty, very proud about it. Um, you know, growing up in Florence was interesting because I talk about it. I was born in the 60s, so it was very different from the city that is today. It was like my best way to describe Florence, where I grew up, it was like a small city with a big name. Meaning that, you know, everybody knows about Florence. You can go probably anywhere in the world, like from Japan to Indonesia to, you know, Nebraska. <laughs> and everybody knows where Florence is pretty much or something about it. But growing up in Florence was interesting because again, it was a small city. We pretty much knew each other. And most of you lived in your neighborhood. And uh, it sounds a little bit like New York or something. <laughs> that's a big stretch you know you know in the sense that like a lot of people you, you don't really leave your neighborhood kind of thing yeah but you still have like the potential like you have lots of those things to do florence was like you know the downtown area so the historic which is still today like the main drag for you know every tourist and of course if you are from there you really don't go unless you have to like you know shopping and stuff like that but mostly like live your life in your neighborhood with the little parish your school was there your you know friends were there we're playing soccer in the streets, which is something, of course, that does not exist anymore. Sure. And well, actually, I guess, you know, barring the soccer comment, it, it would probably be more like a modern-day Los Angeles because, like, people don't live their, leave their neighborhoods in <laughs> L.A. a lot. Yeah, because you, the kind of prisoners, they're built there, like, their own cars and traffic. But, you know, what I'm saying, like, it was a slower pace. Um, you know, there was no, like, big, like, uh, you know, um, supermarkets or big retailers. I mean, I remember, like, as a kid, like, maybe five or six, I was like, you know, going with my grandma to, you know, grocery shopping at the local butcher shop, the bakery, everybody knew your name. You were getting like, you know, gifts and shit like that. And of course, this does not exist anymore. Everybody in Italy now lives pretty much the same way. You guys live here in the United States. We live here in the United States. And uh, I mean, not something I'm missing, but it was def definitely like a different time, a different place that does not exist anymore. So growing up in Italy, that was in the 60s, you said. Yeah, well. And so then take us through sort of, did you go to university? Oh, yeah, there? yeah. I mean, uh, it, so the system is different in Italy. Actually, it's different now from what it was in my, in my times. So uh, you do the old schools, like, you know, grandma elementary school. We have like a school called Scuola Media, medium school, which you guys don't have, uh, which is like uh, three years. And then you eventually, if you decide, you can, you know, legally can stop, uh, can stop going to school but uh, then you decide if you want what kind of high school you want to do. High schools in Italy, supposed, they, are, they are different kinds and they're supposed to prepare you either for like for a job, uh, like accounting or something like that, or give you like a good base for going to college. So um, I choose like, it's called scientific high school, the show scientifico. Um, and for the first time, actually, that's interesting because talking about what we were talking about before, like, you know, living in your little bubble, it was probably the first time that I had to go to a school that was like outside of my neighborhood. And uh, for, it was actually one of the most prestigious in Florence. And it was interesting because I found myself like in a different world. Like everybody was the son or the daughter of somebody. <laughs> and I just was a guy. So you're out of your comfort zone everybody's like very very wealthy everybody had a vacation homes you know, on the, up on the mountains and down on the beach they were traveling and uh, it was it wasn't easy um i kind of was kind of painful to go through high school to be honest with you 
uh, it was extremely like uh, selective. Um, honestly, it was tougher to go to high school than, for example, like you know, you know, I, I served just like an Italian my age. It was much easier to serve in the military than high school. High school in was in like, the military, you're yeah, saying? Yeah. I mean, the, the high school was like was tough. Like, I kind of like it's kind of funny now when I hear about you know bullying is a big thing here in the United States, pretty much everywhere in the world. There's lots of like focus about you know stopping kids from bullying each other and stuff like that. But in the 70s in Italy, it was like free for all. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think like, to some degree it's, it's the same here. Strange color sweater or like a bad haircut or like a few extra pounds, you were like in for a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> a few extra pounds. So, oh, goodness. It's, uh, yeah, you know, just um, then, of course, after high school, we couldn't really afford, I couldn't really afford to go to, to college. So for a few years, I, um, I, you know, I'd be working. And my very first job was... Um, in retail so i got the job for a few months in a um, you know clothing store mostly men's that was uh, very close to the cathedral to uh, piazza repubblica for those who know florence piazza repubblica is like the heart of the city it's like you know the main square that was actually where the roman forum was you know built you know when florence was a roman town and uh and a few months later after it was a few months i you know i was like busy covering from somebody else and kind of like i enjoyed that um and then a few months later, I got a phone call from the owner of the clothing store because a friend of his who has like uh, who had a jewelry store needed some help. So it was supposed to be just like a job for a couple of months. It was like Christmas time. <laughs> I ended up working there for three years. Oh, wow. Because on Christmas Eve, the owner got into an accident and broke both his legs. So That's crazy. I found myself in this funny position at the age of maybe 19 or 20 I had to learn lots of things. Of course, I don't remember much anymore about emeralds, diamonds, VV1, VVS, the colors, and it was interesting. I really enjoyed those times. So you were working in an apparel store, uh, but yeah, no, first they they also had a jewelry store. No, actually, uh, I worked for a few months, and then they didn't need me anymore because I was covering for somebody. Oh, I see. So they didn't really know each other again. It was like you know, just around the corner. So the jewelry store, uh, the jewelry store was on Via Calzaioli, and again, it's the main probably walking street that connects the cathedral, the Duomo, with Piazza Signoria and the Uffizi. So pretty much every every single person who goes to Florence is walking on that street. So what what kind of things were were carried in the in the clothing store? Um, was it suits? I mean, you think of well, Italy, pretty much. It was like a combination of like if I have to make a like a easy refer of to anybody to understand, it would be a sort of banana. I mean, it was not a chain. So, but the style was like Banana Republic, uh, casual. So just like a contemporary. Yeah, contemporary casual, story. something like that. You know, so there's suits. So there was not like, you know, they were not the best in the world, but, you know, decent. And uh, it was very well known. I think the story, you know, I don't even know if it's there anymore, but it's, you know, it's been a few generations of the same family. So and it was kind of, you know, it was interesting. Again, first job and uh, you start to learn a few things and... Uh, they treat you like shit. <laughs> so, then they, then you, so, so you served in the military, obviously. Yeah, it was mandatory in my times. So, I mean, I didn't do it anymore. Uh, it's on a volunteer basis. But that was later because of, uh, I went back to college. <laughs> so at least, I mis- let me rephrase it. I tried because I wanted somehow to have some sort of college uh, education. So I tried to, to go back to college. So the way the system was, they basically, basically like put on hold for your service and, and they give you some uh, you know, criteria to meet. If you fail to meet those criteria, you have to go and serve. So to make the story short, I, um, I ended up not meeting those criteria after a couple of years. So I had to go and serve, which of course I, I really didn't mind. I always had this kind of like a dream in my, in my mind of maybe you know, a military career. Um, I ended up actually serving for just six months, and it was interesting. I was uh, I was based in a town called Rieti that really nobody knows. It's about a half and a half uh, northeast of Rome, small town. Um, and again, it's uh, and that's again speaking about getting out of your bubble. I'm from Florence, and we think they were the best in the world. <laughs> it's like I mean, again, the best way to describe it is like Tuscany. Generally speaking, is the state. It's like the Texas of. Italy, we think you're a bit different. The, the Texas of Italy. Yeah, and uh, you know, sometimes you are, especially, well, the competition is with other Italians. We don't like anybody else. Like when I was growing up, like if you had like an Italian different accent or you look different, 
you were out. <laughs> so, um, but when you join the military, it's like, well, you're busy with kids from everywhere. And I was like shocked. So with some of them, it was even hard to communicate. Like, because they spoke some crazy dialect from the very north to the very south. It's not just an accent here in the States, you know, you all, you know, right, stuff right. like that. <laughs> but, uh, in, you know, but in Italy, like the, 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 the language, again, we're talking about many years ago, so I'm sure the other things are a little bit different, but um, the, the, the language is not just the accent, it's the, the dialect, the use of different words, different expressions. So most of the time I was like asking like, what? What, what, what was that? <laughs> what did you say? So that was interesting. Um, then I went back. And um, I went back for, to college actually to finish it. So I put my you know big boy big boy pants like okay let's get this done. And then just forty years actually it was kind of fast uh, for the Italian standards. I got um, my degree in political science. Yeah, that was my next question. Was what did you study? Well, it's political science in in, uh, in Italy again, at the best of my knowledge now because things might probably a little bit different right now. But in my time, it was like a little bit more like uh, two years were like, you know, general studies. So you study a bit of everything. And then you were keep ma making your choice of what kind of specialization you wanted to get into. So like um, historical, um, economical, uh, sociological. And I did some sort of a mix because it was possible to science between history and sociology. Um, and my thesis was uh, about the first conservative party in Italy after World War II. And funny enough, I wrote my thesis in Cozumel, Mexico. Uh, again, different. You wrote it in Cozumel? Yeah. So, so what took you to Cozumel? Oh, so anyways, I was a little bit like uh, restless. So, oh, so you were just traveling. We're talking about, yeah, we're talking about like uh, before laptops. Sure. So the thesis in Italy for your graduation, you become a doctor in the, I'm a doctor in political science for the Italian law. And uh, your thesis is like something very serious. Like some people, you know, take even a couple of years to put it together. Oh, absolutely. Like that still research. happens I mean, today. It's a, I mean, mine is like, it's a book. So my, my mom still has it like right there in the library. Like it looks like, you know, something special. I mean, it's, I'm very proud of it. So I did, uh, I spent maybe like almost one year like in making researches at the National Library. National Library is a library in Florence. And I think it's one, one of the largest libraries in Europe at least. So, you know, you go through like photocopies and lots of materials, lots of microfilms and all of that. And once I had all the material I needed for my thesis, and I was like, well, I can write this thesis anywhere in the world. I don't need to be here. So someone I was working out with, had like a relative in Mexico, I talking about this place called Cozumel. So I didn't even know how, but I rented an apartment for, I think at the time I was paying the equivalent of $5 a day that was coming with a scooter that the rentador was filling with gas every morning. And I lived in Cosme for about three months. And uh, I wrote my thesis there. So when I came back, my thesis were ready. I just had to, like, you know, I've been I've somehow, like, put it in nicely and uh, binded and uh, ready to roll. So were you getting help from your parents for the, for well, the rent? I was able, or, no, I was able to save some money. Because on top of that, I was doing, like, I was doing, like, you know, some, some more jobs, like, uh, some security jobs, like working for parties and stuff. I always been like a big dude, so they helped. I was like always like I've been working out most of my life, especially in a country like Italy, being like six four and two hundred and twenty pounds. Somehow you stick out a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, and again, it was it was super cheap. It was very enjoyable. I was uh, I really like those those months. I mean, I didn't even know again if that Mexico exists anymore. I mean, the thing you hear about Mexico, I haven't been able to go back, but uh, you know. It's about you know, crazy things going on. But I really enjoyed it. It was very slow pace. It was uh, somehow you know, touristy because, of course, your cruise ships, because of the big drag there is like uh, scuba diving. And um, it was really enjoyable. Like, I came back super relaxed with an amazing tan in good shape. And the thesis, <laughs> thesis was ready. So nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. You're still, still tan. the same idiot. You're in I'm good just, shape. Uh, you know, I just changed the ocean with a swimming pool here in Arizona, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, then, then I came back to Italy, to, to Italy. I graduated from college, and then you start, you know, the, something maybe you guys here don't understand, which is like the struggle, try to find a job. I mean, 
in Italy, having a you know a degree doesn't mean anything, anything, whatever degree it is, unless of course your your degree is in law and your dad is an attorney. Rather than that, you are on your own trying to find some job, and they were the offers they the offers they were giving me like ridiculous, like I cannot. It's like working for peanuts. So that's really interesting. I didn't know that really about Italy. What? So then, what would drive somebody to go to college then? Well, if the degree doesn't like, mean much. Family am- can be family ambition. Like you know, I, my mom. I mean, I come from a working. I'm a working class family, and my mom was like, "Well, you don't have to do much in school. Just graduate from college, get a degree, be- become a doctor, like something like that." So not much. Like you know. <laughs> now, what did your parents do? Uh, well, my mom and dad were both nurses, but my dad, uh, he was able to get all his job. I mean, again, we're talking about like old times. It's not possible anymore, but he basically he retired from his job very, very young. It was doable at the time. And then he started a pretty decent career as a soccer coach. Or to better rephrase it, like some sort of, the best way to describe it is a personal trainer. So it was a coach that was like just um, coaching uh, goalkeepers. And again, I don't believe in the very first one, the very best one, but my dad was for sure among the very first ones specializing in that specific role. So he's been consulting for like bigger teams. He started his own like uh, goalkeeping school. So like teams were like, you know, semi-professionals, professionals. They were sending their goalkeepers to my dad so to take to get some sort of special training. That's insane. What? So how old was he when he started doing that? I'm very bad with dates. I, if if I, I, I would say maybe it was like in his mid forties. In his mid forties. Yeah. So, so I'm assuming he played goalkeeper at one point. Yeah, I played goalkeeper when he was young, but um, again, we talk about the, uh, the, the late, you know, early fifties. Then he got injured. It was an injury that today would be like laughable. Like, yo, let me fix it. Right. Twenty five minutes. Yeah. By the time it was the end of the career, he was elected. He, he was selected for the. Um, um, I think it was like uh, again. I, these are like long time ago memories, but uh, like the national uh, team for like kids until fourteen or something like that. Under, it was called like under 14 or something. I don't even know if, again, if that exists anymore. But, uh, so it was pretty good, but uh, but it was a funny guy. And uh, I grew up basically like watching soccer, even though I don't really follow soccer anymore. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, if I, memories with my dad is mostly like soccer related. Right. Just um, a few days ago, I was talking to a friend of mine about like a very, you know, every time knows like the final, actually the semifinal between uh, Italy and Brazil uh, in the World Cup 1982, and I still remember the day like it happened yesterday. I was watching the game with my dad, and my dad was like always very cool, not never raising his voice. But that game, he was like pretty animated, jumping over the place. <laughs> so, and then, yeah, anyway, so I went back to college, and uh, again, struggled for a couple of years, like trying to, trying to find a decent job. Nothing was happening, but um, I don't know, maybe because of more ambitious than your typical Italian. I was able to find a bunch of like temporary jobs and some of them they were very lucrative like mostly like security uh conventions stuff like that and uh, i was already traveling kind of off in the united states because i always had this kind of, i mean america you know the dream american dream he was like he's you know beautiful country i you know i was saving money to go to new york for the week or something like that with some friends staying in some sketchy hotel by union square that now is like is cool but at the time, I talk about the, the late 1980s, for example, in the 1990s, Union Square you know, was not the place you wanted to be. I've seen people arrested and uh, drug dealing, you know, the funny stuff. Um, I always made sure I had enough money to go, like, you know, dining or having drinks in cool places or what I perceived as cool at my age in those times. It was weird, before the internet, so it wasn't even like, hey, Siri, what's the coolest body in Manhattan? No, you had, I don't even know how we were, like, getting some information at the time. Sure. So, and um, so I did pretty good jobs. I met a bunch of interesting people. Um, and then one day I was at the gym working out as usual, like my usual two, three hours a day. And I met a guy who is actually American, American Italian. So he was born in Buffalo, New York, but um, he grew up in Italy. So actually, he, we went to the same college and we had like some uh, friends in common. And uh, he told me what he was doing. Like, you know, same, I'm in the same shoes, like, you know, I'm graduated from college. But my, you know, my bonus is that I'm fluent in English because I'm American. So my English was okay at the time. Like I wasn't, it wasn't great. But he was like, Max, why don't you join me in doing what I do? So basically what he was doing, and again, 
Today, it's like you can Google it, you find like a billion of people offering the same service, but at the time, it was not as common. So he was a tour guide, basically. Um, or what we call today like a driver guide. So someone with a license for driving people, and again, remember Italy is a big bureaucracy, so you need a license and permits for everything. Um, so he had the permit for driving, some sort of limo um, permit, but uh, it was taking people out on, excur on excursions outside of the city of Florence, and he was able to basically provide almost like the same service as a guide, um, explaining about the history, about you know traditions, about wine, about food. So I somehow uh, started to consider the idea, and uh, I wanted somehow to create uh, some sort of you know specialization in what I was doing. So my interest became wines. So we started this company, uh, and we're talking about the very end of the 1990s, 1999, based out of Florence, and uh, our specializing in tours, and my specialty, I was the guy in charge of the wine tours outside of Florence. As you know, Tuscany, we make wine, wine everywhere. There are many different wine, tree, wine regions, but the two most important ones, we had this conversation yesterday, is mostly like the uh, Chianti Classico area and Montalcino. So just outside of the city, you're already in Chianti Classico, Montalcino, you have to drive maybe an hour and a half or something like that. So that was um, an interesting like, times for me because uh, our business was like, started to grow like crazy, especially because of with my drive to travel to the States and the fact that actually he is American, we started to do something that at the time nobody was doing, which was lots of business calls in the States to talk directly to the travel agents, uh, try to convince them to, give it, to send them you know, their clients. Gotcha. Because again, the, 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 the service was like tended to, you know, pretty high-end clientele. So for about 12, 13 years, I've been, I've been doing that, and uh, business was growing, everything was great, we get a bunch of celebrities, I'm not naming names, but you know, and um, I didn't enjoy what I was doing. Like, uh, you have the privilege of working with people on vacation. You have the privilege of working with actually wealthy people on vacation, doing something like wine and food tours. Right. What yeah. can go? What can go wrong? Right. Right. <laughs> Unless the unusual, like grumpy clients, because you know life is tough, and sometimes the market in the morning doesn't open as good as you, you know, were expecting. Um, it was actually some pretty good time. Uh, you know, things started to be rough in 2008, 2009 because of the, the market collapsed. So we suffered. Like uh, you know, we had to fire. We had a few employees. We had a, we had an office actually in uh, Via Tornaboni, which is like the main shopping street of Florence. Our office was in the same building as Roberto Cavalli, the designer, and across the street from Gucci. Oh wow! So this was like so in you're the, right in the thick yeah of the, 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 the very good times. And then after 2008, 2009, we have to basically uh, restructure the whole business because again, people are not traveling as much. We started to have lots of competition, and uh, I started to chew on the idea of trying to move to the states. So let me let me back up for just one second. <clears throat> so you started this company with your friend. Mm -hmm. How so? It was basically based on relationships. Oh, everything, yeah. Because what we do, uh, what we what we still actually do today, somehow, and what we started to do at those times, it's very specific, and uh, I don't know how to put it, but it's expensive. Like I, we were not, we were not like a trip advisor material. So it's about word of mouth. But the point is, like our clients still today, the joke is like they all know each other, because they are part of the same group. They go to the same restaurants. They live in the same neighborhoods. I mean, you just name it. Like, of course, you know, they have, you know, they live in Long Island. They live in, uh, uh, in, you know, in Manhattan. They live in Beverly Hills. They live in Malibu. So they all somehow, I'll say, of course, they don't, don't know each other, but they are like, they're part of the crowd. So they use the same travel agent, agents, because don't forget that our services today, and even at those times, they're not for the final traveler. We don't work with the, with the final traveler, but with their travel agents. Yes. The travel agent for us is a filter. I've, just like anybody else, we have, I have a website, but I rarely get any client online because I don't do anything to promote it. Because most of the clients online are people who are looking for deals, who are shopping online, go on TripAdvisor, go to whatever website they like to get ideas. Well, we don't have time for that. We wish them well. <laughs> but so a travel agent based on... Uh, like if they fly business class, if they fly first class, where the hotels they are staying, so five stars, four stars, they understand if the client we are a good fit for the client. Because if the client cannot afford, you know, our services, 
there's why, a monetary yeah. like implication. Plus, why you have the random like travel agent who just you know tries to give it a shot, or maybe he's not exactly super experienced, or somehow you know likes your opinion. So, but I would say most of the time, like I would say, when we start working on a client, that the chances we get to a final booking they're pretty high, like 85 percent. What was the mo- okay? So what you were touching on basically is whether or not the people can afford your services, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. what was the monetary implication back then? Like, yeah. how did you start the business, or was it all just picking up the oh, phone and just trying to call? Again, people? we were like very few doing what we were doing professionally, which means like, like car were insured, like with a special insurance for passengers. Like we have a license for driving people around. We have access to the downtown areas uh, with a sort of a medallion. Uh, which is again similar to the uh, limo service here in the United States. And then you look like, hotels. I mean, again, Florence is a small town. So you start in Gallows down, um, downtown instead of uh, you know, having your drink, your favorite cafe bar, like in your neighborhood, you were just going downtown to like a you know, hotel cafe, uh, hotel like bar, talking to people. And the next thing you know, it's like you don't know where you have so much business yet to start hiring employees and a bunch of contractors. So you basically started this business with no money. Yeah. That's amazing. But the investment was like, again, the, the, the license, uh, car, and your personal car I'm talking about. My very first car for the business was, uh, it's going to be funny, a 1996 Grand Voyager. And I wish I still had the car. You know, the square one, the very, like, uh, very, you know, ang- like, very square, looks like a big, like, big shoebox. Sure. The interior was like white Alcantara, like beige. And I love that car. That'd get filthy, would it not? Well, White you know, Alcantara? People were drunk after a few minutes. So, <laughs> but, but actually, that, that's how we started. So our investment at the beginning was basically nothing. Just like relationship, like a few extra drinks, a few extra pounds, because you go out a lot. Sure. And, uh, and once you start, you start. And uh, I mean, let me rephrase it. The investment would be like going, coming to, going to New York to meet with travel agents, to, to set up meetings, to give a presentation about our business, but to me that was like ple- pleasure basically, because I was coming to America anyway. Yeah. And then you start to have your, f- you know, to create friendship with people here in the States, everybody has, hey, you must come over, like have somebody to introduce you, I want you to meet with my travel agent. So it was this kind of like, inter- everything was intersected between like pleasure and business. Well, so you're basically doing what you do for a living in reverse, right? Yeah, so you know uh, Italy really well. So when you come to the States into Manhattan, you're you're trying to find the good bars and also do business, of course. Yeah. So like I was in Chicago recently and uh, I really enjoy like bars and restaurants and do a couple of meetings in between and try to, you know, get more business. But especially in the last couple of years, my business has been growing at a pace that has been almost scary to the point that, uh, I mean, everybody wants to grow. But I'm at the stage where I need to grow like slowly because, you know, it gets to a point that things get out of control and you cannot really provide what you're supposed to. And that's when you really go down hard. It happens in in clothing a lot when when companies grow entirely too fast and then they sign leases for stores that they suddenly can't afford because they grew too quickly. You're not really in the in the leasing business of offices or whatever. No, but but the point is like you don't. I mean, clients, of course, you know they are sophisticated. They have the you know nice budgets and all of that, but they have pretty high expectations. So the point is like out there, there's a limited amount of people can provide because again, I always try to explain this way. I think we're pretty good at what we do, but the secret is the people that we use on the ground because we can put together the best proposals, the best itineraries. We can hire a professional writer, James Pedersen or something like that, to write like a description. You're going to go to the Colosseum and you will see whatever. <laughs> but everything comes down to the people who actually will be taking care of the clients. And uh, there are like thousands of guides in every city. They're great guide, driving guides for uh, for tours, but you know, again, with the, the, I'm not the only one doing what we do. So I have lots of competition. I, most of them, I respect them, do a great job in some areas of the country because Italy is a small country. I think that in terms of like of a surface, Italy is probably the same size of, I think it's Texas again, but uh, it's very diverse. So of course, you know, I was born and raised in Florence. I was a tour guide in, uh, in, uh, in Tuscany. So that's somehow is the, the, the core of my business. That's the, that's the part of the country I know like much better. But um, that makes sense. But uh, so there are companies, for example, based in the south, and probably they know a little bit more than me, that, you know, about the area, Positano, Sorrento. Some of these, like, is based out on the uh, lakes, and of course, they are more knowledge about that area. 
but you know i i was able to uh to see both the worlds so the secret is that i was a guide so i've seen what happens with clients which means that 99% of the time nothing goes goes as planned either because people change their mind or because of you just name it traffic parking cancellations weather all the funny stuff you don't control so it happened a few times that, for example, like, you know, you go meet your client for the day for a nice wine tour of Chianti, and they come up with the last issue of uh, the Wine Spectator that maybe talks about Brando de Montalcino, and they go, oh, let's go to Montalcino today. And it's not exactly easy, you can, something you can just improvise, like in July in Italy. So that's when your personal, it's all about personal connections. The most important thing, I think, in my business, I, don't want, I cannot say for all the businesses, but, you know, is personal connections, to be able to, Tell your clients, okay, give me a minute. I'm trying to help you. I need to make a few phone calls. And those phone calls are going to, you know, change your day. Because if you, the, you are able to provide the clients and put together like a very super last minute uh, tour of a couple of nice wines in Montalcino, the client is happy and you end up like a, a very, very generous tip and a beautiful review to his travel agent. But if you don't, well, it's not him who made the mistake of booking the wrong or different tour. You are responsible not to deliver what you wanted. So it's basically almost your fault, pretty much all the time. So that gets tricky. Yeah. But again, the people that we have are like, uh, again, these the, the, are the secret of, of our success. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, as far as possible. But uh, they know what they do, they're professional. And most important, they can communicate to the with the clients, not just because of they speak very good English, maybe better than mine, but because they can understand terms of culture. They are on the same frequency. So the communication happens like without any issue, without any bump. They understand America. They've been, tra they've been traveling to the United States several times, pretty much everybody. They know that the approach with the client is different depending on many different things. And one of them is, and they know, is like you cannot be the same tour guide with like a super hype couple in their 30s from Manhattan who, you know, their wife is whatever and that is in advertising and the husband is a hedge fund guy and a nice family old school from, uh, I don't know, Alabama or, you know, <laughs> right. or, or Georgia. Right. So there's a different approach. Um, usually people from, you know, cities like New York and, you know, Los Angeles, they like, like a guide who's like talks a lot and try to keep it interested. It's like dealing with like a, a very high energy pet. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Passion Fine Jewelry located in Solana Beach, California. Owners Tim and Janet Jackson offer a wide range of fine jewelry, as the name would imply, but also uh, independent watches. Um, so for those of you who are collectors out there, if you haven't really explored independent watchmaking, I highly recommend you give them a call or visit their website at passionfinejewelry.com. Also, there's a wide range of information through Tim's blog, independentintime.com. This episode is also brought to you by Standard H. Standard-H.com is where you'll find our online shop. Really a great way to support the podcast, pick up a hat, t-shirt or even our shorts right now we're offering an additional 20 percent off if you use the code podcast uh, for your entire purchase i can't thank you guys enough for listening please rate the podcast uh, only takes a couple seconds and sincerely helps with the search and for others to find the podcast so they, they can enjoy and listen to uh, back to my conversation with max so basically your business is based on relationships as we've as we've said um so if somebody's trying to become an agent right obviously a lot of connections would help but what kind of advice would you give somebody that so you're talking about an agent not what we do or even if somebody wanted to start uh, what, something. i mean i think there's also potential in the world to do what we to do what we do uh please don't do italy because we are going to kill you. But uh, <laughs> sometimes even, uh, one of my ideas, for example, is to try to do what we do for Italy, uh, for like California, when I lived in California. But I'm sure there, I didn't, I didn't do enough researches, but I'm sure there is like, uh, there are great companies who provide like, you know, tours and services in California. But um, yeah, there are lots of places in the world, I guess there's like, uh, there's like lots of potential uh, for people who, did, who can do, who can provide services for, to tourists, because it's not just tours. Uh, professionally um, the key is like try to find again the key is like personal relationships like and knowledge about the area 
is something that you need to love what you do. You need to love your clients. Um, for the most of us, and I'm speaking for myself when I was working uh, as a guide, but still I spoke with my main guide in Rome today, like honestly, like half an hour ago. And the conversation we have over time is like, are we lucky or what? Because again, that's what I said, you work with people, rich people on vacation, who come from, and that's my personal opinion, like the most interesting country in the world. <laughs> so they also, they, basically you end up like being a friend for the day. Yeah. So if you can make the switch of loving what you do really, like loving your clients, loving the place that they come from, because they sort of like, um, there's lots of, of, uh, of um, I'll say an attitude, like from Americans traveling to Europe, like, oh, we come from a country, there's no, America has no culture. We are so ignorant, we don't know anything. And they always like, I never really understood that on my end, because uh, I always had like great conversations with my clients. So culture is not just how old is your city cathedral, it's not just how old is that bridge, how, you know, how long that one has been in, uh, in, uh, in business, but you know, is it's culture. It's a, the broad, you know, the broad definition is like exchange of ideas, of experiences, of, uh, so we're talking about politics, about history, about lots of stuff. Right. And something that most of you guys have, you guys, because I'm not American, is like, you guys are interested. You are curious. You ask tons of questions. So for somebody who's willing to listen to those questions and answer sincerely, and you have no idea how many times you end up like talking about politics, and of course that's a kind of some sort of sensitive subject sure. today more than ever, but even in the past, it wasn't like easy. I think that most of the, my clients and I, you know, all the guys' clients always appreciate the sincerity. Like, listen, I know where I'm coming from, but I think these are the, I think that. So you give your different perspective as an European and to forget the Italy tradition has always been influenced by the American foreign politics a lot since at the end of World War II with the Marshall Plan. So there's always been like great, I remember like great conversation, great American families, uh, beautiful days. And that's actually what the, our guides are living pretty much every day. Yeah, at the end of the season, after like, I don't know, three, four hundred, no, not four hundred, sorry, let me phrase it, 250, 302 is because when you work and you're good, you end up like working every single day. Right. You're tired. Yeah. But at the same time, you feel like you, you fulfill your life with lots of history, lots of human connections. And uh, once in a while, you get the, like the random, difficult, just any other business, like, person doesn't want, they don't, who don't want to communicate, people are basically unha unhappy with themselves, so they cannot enjoy uh, any traveling. But uh, yeah, if you live in places, I mean, I don't know enough, but let's say if you live in a country or an area and you have, you know, passion for your the, the area, you feel that you have good connections, I think it's not, it's kind of easy to put something together like what we do, like a destination management company. In terms of marketing, that's the hard part. Because basically we, were, we started among the first to do provide the service there was a, a request for, there was a need for. Because very few people, maybe nobody was providing what we started to provide. So we were right there, the first people ready to, you know, to surf that wave. Right. So uh, if you do it now, honestly, it's like, Max, I started, like, I'm starting a company like yours in, uh, I don't know, just name a country or like, I have no idea, like, uh, I don't know, Nicaragua. I mean, just to put it, like Guatemala. Where should I start from? Well, in terms of creating a network of connection, you need to start with your area, but then in terms of marketing, especially in today's world, it's much harder. Right. Because in today's world, even though, even though of course, your know, personal connection is still very important, when you start, I think that the social media, the internet, they've changed everything. So we started before internet really became what it is today. Right. So, so you mentioned California a few minutes ago. What what actually, and you used to live there, now we're in Scottsdale, Arizona, here at your condo, what what took you to California originally? Well, Around uh, because what actually, it's interesting, in, uh, on on January the 2nd, 2000, I was my, at the time, business partner, and uh, he called me, I was at home, he's like, hey, I have some friends from Florida in town for New Year's Eve, they were in Rome to celebrate the millennium come over, join us for dinner. So I went, it was a bunch of people. I was tired, you know, right after New Year's Eve, you still like hangover for a couple of days. I was younger, I was partying much harder. I mean, I don't party anymore. But, uh, so I went off with these people and uh, I became friend of two brothers from Florida, very cool American Italians. And uh, for like a bunch of, you know, 
just was meant to be probably. But I was I was already planning a trip to Florida like a few months. So when I was in Florida, you know, I spent some time with them. Then a few months later, they came back from my business party's wedding. So we started this kind of like friendship across the ocean, but very close. Like one of those, all those things that happen probably very few times in your lifetime. You meet somebody who thinks the same, which is kind of scary because I think I'm a difficult person. So <laughs> I met 12 <laughs> people as difficult as me, uh, opinionated as me. And... Uh, we became friends, and uh, again, for different, very different circumstances, we end up seeing each other a lot, even though there was an ocean in between. So they end up moving in San Diego, to San Diego, uh, a couple of years later. Again, I'm bad with the dates, but let's say 2000, 2003. And so my, I was like making sure that one of my destinations, destinations when I was coming to the States for work, for meetings and all of that, or just for pleasure, was California. So at the beginning, um, I was spending more time in Los Angeles because, again, for any time in Los Angeles, you know, there's more things to do. It's Los Angeles, so it's a kind of appeal. But the more time was going, to, I was spending in San Diego, the more like I appreciate that. Like slower pace, small towns, the, self, the surf culture, and all of that. So David is one of my friends. He had a baby like um, nine years ago, and I happened to become the godfather little max is named after me as you know so there was like uh you know i i love that and it was another reason the reason to go and try to spend more time as much time as possible down in san diego to see you know my godson so finally i was able to have my visa approved for moving my to move to the united states they were talking about the uh, the end of 2012 i it was a no-brainer like to me okay let's try i mean let's move to san diego so I, one of the brothers, Danny had a very large American home, so I was able to stay there for a while until I was ready like, to you know, start living on my own. So, and he was traveling a lot because of his mom was in Florida when she was still sick, so basically I had this huge house by myself for a while, and it was for free, so why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? Well, and that sort of takes us uh, to kind of how we met, right? So Yeah. In your back and forth yeah. to California. When I was still, when I was still like, uh, I was trying to spend the, you know, time, as much time, as most time as possible here in the United States. And again, I was like in America for maybe once, one, two months a year. Uh, and we met in Malibu. In Malibu. I was uh, working in Malibu how for fan, James how, how, fan, how fancy Malibu. We met in Malibu. Yeah, you know, we, we met in Malibu. Um, 2010, I'm assuming, something like that. Uh, yeah, maybe 2009. Maybe 2009. Yeah. Maybe 10 Something years like ago. That. And then yeah. we didn't see each other for a while. No. And I got promoted to the store, to the to the manager. Uh, I, basically, I got promoted to manage the store in San Diego. Mm -hmm. the and one out of nowhere, this yeah. six foot four Italian guy comes through the door that I, I recognize. <laughs> Asking for a medium sized t shirt. Right. Because I wash <laughs> off. Yeah. And then found out that you had moved to San Diego. Yeah. And we've been friends and ever it since. It was actually a very nice six years of my life. I, you know, I like San Diego a lot. Again, I lived in uh, Del Mar for about two years. And then I moved to Cardiff by the sea for about four. So I love Cardiff. Cardiff was, you know, there's something I'm missing about Cardiff. It's like the slow pace. Uh, the, again, the beach culture that can be annoying sometimes, and we had this conversation before. I don't want to get there, but uh, generally speaking, um, it's very friendly people. Um, talking about the older crowd, <laughs> and uh, lots of like little bars, restaurants. If you, it's unusual in probably in California, but I was able like to live probably a day without even driving if I wanted to. Sure. Yeah. Well, Cardiff's pretty small. Yeah. I mean, the system market is amazing. So you can go grocery shopping, like just walking outside my apartment. Of course, you know, coffee shops, as many as you want. And then, of course, in terms of, let's say, let's go to nightlife, like go out for a drink, you have the shanty, the office, they're right there. And then if you really want to take an Uber for like a mile, just go to Encinitas and you have a bunch of cool things to do. Right. And so that's where Italy to the max started, right? Italy Max started, actually, the company was born in uh, January 2012, so before I got my visa. So the whole process was like you start your company, you start showing the, the potential income. Because it's about money, of course, you know. So when you go, officially my visa was granted in uh, uh, August, actually, the, uh, I think it was like the 12th or the 9th. 
It was a very hot day. I was sweating like a pig outside of the American embassy because they let you in until you know they're ready for you. And uh, you talk to the uh, counsel in person who tries to do everything to discourage you. They don't want you. We don't want you. And they're very like, they can be mean somehow. So I remember like, uh, so everything, all the conversation was about money. Like, so how much you make? Yeah, but I don't see the money on your bank account in in America with Bank of America. Yeah, <laughs> because if you don't, <laughs> if you don't give me a visa, it's not gonna be like uh, me. Uh, I'm not gonna put an account and you know money in an account that you know in a country I don't live. Yeah, so it's totally a chicken or the egg situation. Like which yeah, came first? Like yeah, that's a little point. Like yeah. yeah, if you don't grant me the visa, I won't be able to. You know, yeah, I can't make money. Operating in the United States, so all these nice, you know, bank statements you see that says, you know, Monte Pasqui, you know, like the Italian bank, won't be in this Bank of America account. I'm like, oh, this is granted. Right, right. <laughs> so, that's interesting. But that's that's one of those days you. Again, I don't want to be too romantic or too dramatic, but that's one of those days you don't really forget. Sure. No, I'm sure that. Yeah, it just. I mean, the whole process. Brain. I mean, basically, they they give you like they call the officer. Was basically uh, a guy from the embassy who you know follows your case. It's like a almost like a criminal case, and uh, I remember like seeing the guy. They call your name. You go, and the the first words were like, "We're not gonna you you're, you're not gonna get the visa today." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> that's a good start." <laughs> like, and you just said you're not gonna get yeah, it today with his, with a straight face. Like, don't don't expect to get the visa today. You won't get the visa today, and. So when are you to believe that you're going to get it? Well, the you, next you, day? Well, week? To, well, basically they keep asking you documentation. Actually, the first appointment for the visa, it took me like almost a year to get because they keep they keep asking documentation. And uh, again, I don't want to make it sound it's the way it should be, to be honest with you. It'll be faster, better communication will be nice because they kept asking for some stupid simple documents. But uh the, the, they call it a package. It's a bunch of documents they submit to an attorney most of the times. It's a, they're about every single thing in your life. Wow. Like family, uh, bank accounts in Italy, personal business, uh, education. I mean, uh, seriously, I, I don't even, I think I, I still have somewhere like a picture of my package and it was like, I don't even know, like 12 inches tall of paper of stuff. Bigger than the paper you wrote for college. Oh yeah, oh <laughs> yeah. Seriously, it was insane. So you started by yourself, right? One man band. Yeah. In 2012, call it. Yeah. And now, was, how many employees do you have? Well, now, now it's five of us. But uh, the uh, the very beginning was kind of like difficult because again, I because of a conflict of interest with my former business partner in Italy. So the American Italian guy we started the business in Italy with, I was not allowed to use any of my previous connections. So I moved to the States with like... Nothing. Nothing. Uh, just a place where to stay for free. Like some cushion financially. I was pretty good. For, I mean, I, I knew that was going to be good for a little bit. For a while. And uh, just a few phone numbers. So I started to dial those numbers. Trying to see if it was possible to get more in some introductions, some something. And uh, the first four didn't really work out until a very good friend of mine who is um, well, very well known in the industry, is an hotel manager. He put me in touch with somebody and uh, the, next th the next thing that I know is that I could not even put down my phone because my phone started to be on fire. Just ringing off the hook. Yeah. And it was completely, completely unexpected. And when you start like going from like days sitting on your couch trying to figure out the way to start the business, to have the kind of like response, again, I'm not complaining, but it's scary. It's a like, sink or swim moment. Yeah, because I remember like you start freaking out because that's the time you stop talking or you actually you keep talking, but you need to start delivering. So I need to make sure that everything that was promising, that was like, I, was, I mean, I knew what I was doing because again, because of my background, but don't forget that I was a guy in Tuscany. Most of my connections were in Tuscany and we started, and the only way you can be successful is like to try to extend your services to the rest of the country. So again, I started to rely on my personal connections. So word of mouth, people that I've been working with, like sometimes we had like celebrities and of course they were doing, for example, Florence, uh, Florence, Tuscany and Rome. So we already had connection, people taking care of these people in Rome because we we're talking, hey, this person is coming, this was going on, that's, we have a special request. 
So it took a while and lots of really sleepless nights. It's not like a, a cliche. Uh, very, very concerned about, oh my God, this is happening and what am I doing? And you know that, I, I mean, our, the, as a company, our first year was like, uh, my, my sales the first year was like $2,500. And the second year was like close to 300000 that's insane. And this year we're probably looking at about two million, so in terms of growth. And um, so after a while, I mean, I try to, I'm a control person. I mean, let me rephrase it. I don't like to control people, but I control myself, which means like I double check details and all that. And um, so hiring somebody has been like a painful process. We've been through like a, some people were not exactly into it. And again, no complaints about California. <laughs> I love my years back there, but uh, there's something about work ethic, at least in my experience. Uh, yoga first, surfing next, go for a run, see my family, see my friends, have a beer, and maybe work later. Right. <laughs> so that doesn't really fit my personality and uh, our clients, most important. Like, you need to be available. There are days you don't do pretty much anything because, again, it's like fishing. You send your proposals, you send your emails, and you wait for people to reply. And those days you can eventually it's hard to plan of course but you can do whatever you want but there are some other days when you have like some important clients again i'm not naming names but i had like a very important client like when i was still in california i think i didn't stay for a week because this guy was coming up with some of the most amazing requests i've ever had in my life like stuff that was like okay how do i do this Helicopter. I mean, helicopters are kind of common, but they will charge them. But you know, the request that people had in mind, for example, you don't you don't sleep because you make phone calls. You, you wait for people to reply. Well, yeah, because so of the time difference too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, so we went to a bunch of employees, and finally I found this guy. Funny enough, the only Italian taller than, taller than me, six six. Right. He was born in Florence as well, well, just outside of Florence. But I gave him a pass, and. Um, with a very nice background in uh, hospitality, he worked for a five-star hotel, and uh, we need to change his career somehow, so I took him as an employee for a while, and, um, you know, after two and a half years together, he, I just gave him 10% of the company, because my goal at this point is to take a step back, relax, try not to work as much, so now it's gonna be his, but to be on the line. <laughs> Will I be at the pool probably sipping on protein shakes? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you you're really into guns. You like yeah. to go shooting. I like to go shooting a lot. You love knives. I do, I do, yeah, I'm a, probably I'm a cowboy somewhere. Back. Do you think that stems from your time in the military? Uh, uh, yes and no. I think it's mostly because of uh, family values. Uh, and again, I I've said it before maybe too many times, but different times, different you know, different country. Sure. Um, I come from a country where like they've been looking down the military for a long time because of our past during the regime in the 19, uh, from the 1920s to 1940s, World War II. So everything was like military related, it was like uh, you know, right wing, uh, extremist, crazy. Like I remember like even, you know, joy I tried to join the, um, some you know, special forces because they differed this distinction between special forces, special, special units. I tried to join special units, I didn't, you know, I didn't make it the cut, but, uh, they had a bad reputation for no reason, just because of you know they were specialized military people. So being like a pretty much a socialist country, there was always been some sort of like of uh, people looking down or suspiciously everything that's military. And me being like always like the uh, black sheep or like the different guy, I was attracted. So, right. so what makes a good knife? I like very much Spiderco. Spiderco. What do you like about Spiderco? Out oh, the edge. You can actually, when, I'm, when I, I've been moving a couple of times in the last few months and uh, I've been cutting so many cardboards, that's insane. <laughs> I mean, to the point like, uh, yeah, I need a nice knife. And Spyderco was like going through those cardboards like bother. Um, it's very light, they're very light. I have to, actually I call paramilitary too and I love those knives, probably they're my favorite knives. That's cool. And you're, you're a big fan of double RL denim, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, part of that is because usually they have very, very good-looking chicks working at their, at their shops. Uh, so it's nice to have, like, a smiling blonde from Wyoming selling your jeans in Malibu. <laughs> uh, they fit me well, and overall, I like them a lot. Yeah. The, 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 the WRL, actually, 
I cannot find many, many more things at WRL just because of the sizing. I right. mean, I, I tried a bunch of times to buy shirts, for example, like Cowboy Store style shirts. Uh, actually, I got a couple of them at the store in uh, Soho, like last winter, and I had to return them because of I, I, very, I mean, I'm a big guy, I have very long arms, so usually, like, I look like I've been, you know, I stole that shirt for somebody else from you. So right, 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 from me. Yeah, at five ten. Yeah. So it's uh, but I like the brand. I like the uh, I like the uh, the stores are amazing. I can spend like hours, like in a big store like WRL, just browsing around. Shit, I would be able to buy because it won't fit me, but. Well, yeah, I mean, Ralph's like the king of merchandising. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, his stores I mean, are like museums. Ralph Lauren itself is, a, I mean, I, my, my, my dress code right now is like jeans, boots, and uh, T-shirts, so it's pretty easy. But uh, when I was like a little bit more dressy, Ralph Lauren, talking about years ago, Ralph Lauren was still Ralph Lauren. Maybe now it's not, you know, I lost some of the appeal. I don't even know. But, um, yeah, the borders will be different. So we're in Scottsdale. What really brought you here from Cardiff? Well, the idea of trying to, I mean, I love Cardiff, it was beautiful. Um, it was a combination of things. Probably the most important, I would say, it was like financially, I was trying to, uh, you know, do something else with my money, and California being incredibly expensive. Yeah, outrageous. Uh, you know, being Italian, I mean, Italians are, I think, some of the, per, 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 for, for the population, we're like the number one real estate owners in the world. Like, like 70% of Italians statistically own like a, some real estate. So in our gene is like to buy properties. So if I wanted to buy anything in Cardiff by the sea, of course, I had to probably start kidnapping somebody with lots of money after <laughs> ransom because of, there was like nothing for less 1.6, 1.8, and they were like still like falling apart. So the other thing was like, honestly, the, the, after a while, again, again, I loved my little town, people were friendly, but after a while there's something about California that is a little bit like different especially because maybe I'm aging, a bunch of different things. But if, basically, if you don't surf, if you don't uh, do yoga, and uh, I don't know if I can say that, but if you're not liberal, you start not really fitting that much in that crowd. <laughs> so I'm like, let me see if I can find a place that is like still driving distance because I want to be able to see my god kids as often as I can. They're coming actually tomorrow to visit me for the first time in Scottsdale. Um, a place where like, you know, how like I can, I can buy properties for like without, you know, for less money, is nice, is growing, and maybe the um, the crowd is a bit different. So uh, I came here like um, for a couple of business meetings last year. Actually, it was in, one year ago, probably these days. And I was supposed to stay for three days. I ended up staying for like ten. So after three days in the hotel, I just rented an apartment because I wanted to have like the feel of like living like a local apartment versus hotel. Yeah, I liked it. It was hot. That's the first, the first thing people you hear about Arizona is like, oh my God, it's so hot. Yeah, and <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, but it was manageable. So I decided I had to go back because I had like a business trip to San Francisco coming up or Seattle. I don't remember. Anyways, and I came back again, rented the apartment for a month. After three days, I purchased a condo. That's insane. Because honestly, prices here are so good. Especially for, again, don't forget, even though I've lived in America for years, but I still, my mindset is still, I'm Italian, that's where I grew up, and I lived in California. So if you compare with California and Italy, prices for properties in Arizona are like insane. So I bought my first condo um, a few days later, and then I started to the process of like moving, which is, you know, I was excited about my new life here, but at the same time, of course, you're scared because I don't, I didn't know pretty much anybody. And I had, of course, my, you know, quote unquote family in California and a bunch of friends. So, and again, there was lots of things I liked about, especially about Cardiff. Not crazy about California overall, but Cardiff also, Cardiff, Sona Beach, that area, North County, San Diego, was something special about it. But, um, you know, so a very hot day in July, July 14th, I packed all my stuff and I drove a truck to Scottsdale and a few, actually a few months later I bought the second condo and hopefully I'm gonna be able to buy some more. And in a few years, maybe two or three, I'll be able just again to see poolside while my team is running the business. Sure. That's the goal. That sounds like a pretty good exit strategy. Yeah. Well, Max, this is good. Um, I, I feel like that's a really great place to stop, frankly. Yeah, uh, I hope you guys understood me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the key. It doesn't come with subtitles, I guess. 
Listen, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for coming, and I'll see you next time in California. Okay, Max. Bye-bye. I wanted to thank Max once more just for taking the time to do the interview and sit down with me and chat. Uh, definitely got to learn a lot about him that I didn't know before. Uh, it's been really fun doing these and finding out more information about people that I've known for such a long time, and this was certainly no exception. Um, I do want to thank Clear Audio, C-L-E-E-R, audio.com for supplying the headphones on my head that are just incredibly comfortable uh, with fantastic noise cancellation capabilities. Uh, also the music from Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful. Thank you to you guys for uh, laying down the track. Um, you guys, thank you for listening. Um, can't do this without you. Really appreciate the support and we'll catch you next week. Thanks. Thanks.